0: Today I'm joined by none other than Jack Murphy. Uh, Jack Murphy is a writer, uh, a podcaster, um, host of the Jack Murphy live show, um, sort of Joe Rogan of the deplorables uh, Uh on his way to to becoming the the, the Joe Rogan of the future, Um, and also founder of the Liminal Order and author of Democrat to Deplorable. Welcome, Jack.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to happy to have you on. I've been following uh, your podcast for a long time. I'm a devout listener. Uh, you have some amazing oh, guests on. Um, thank you. Yeah, I love the, the Millerman podcast. I'm obsessed with Millerman now, and so so that's kind of my, my direction. Listen to all of them and, um, yeah, can recommend his podcast as well. But obviously – yeah. Listen to the Jack Murphy live show. It's, it's excellent stuff. Um, I want to ask you, do you, do you recommend getting canceled because you have a, a quite a, a deep cancellation story?
1: Yeah. You know, that's a tough one, right? Like cancellation for me has turned out to be a very liberating experience. It, uh, it really threw me out into the wilderness. It took away my ability to earn. It took away the reputation I had built up over 40 some years Uh, And it it put me in a sink or swim situation, which is funny because I remember writing very, very, I remember very clearly writing on my blog in like 2015 or 2016 that I was all in, man. I was Cortez burning my ships, swimming out from the shore with no regard for the return trip. But I didn't actually know what that felt like until I I got canceled. And so, uh, you know, uh, necessity, I guess, is the mother of all invention. And it was just, I had to do it. And the only way to really recover from the cancellation was to take the energy and turn it around and ride it in a positive way. Do I recommend it to everybody? No, no, it's horrible. Your family suffers, your children suffers. You know, it's hard on your, on your physicality. It's hard on your emotions. It's hard on everything. You know, it's a sudden, horrible change. If you truly, truly get canceled, like I did, like shredded, destroyed, reputation done. Some people like this tubing guy, he can whip out his penis uh, at work and then come back. But for me as a tall, masculine, bearded, white male working in education, being labeled a nazi and a white supremacist that was pretty much that was it that was it for me and i'm happy i'm happier now i was having a lot of direct impact on people's lives you know thousands of families and thousands of kids but now i'm reaching millions of people and so my ability to impact the world has actually increased they've only made me stronger through cancellation so it was as many things are both a crisis and an opportunity and i chose to turn it around and turn it into an opportunity. And I'm still riding that same wave today.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've definitely, um, you know, made lemonade out of, out of this one, but yeah, as we know, not, not everyone's um, you know, it, it's hard to, 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 to turn this into a career you know i'm kind of trying to do that now i have not been canceled uh it's pretty i'm pretty hard to cancel because i live at the like the periphery of a periphery somewhere in, you know the backwoods of wherever so it's yeah i right. don't know yeah try me guys but yeah.
1: um you know you, you, i don't know if you remember like kim kardashian part of her fame early on came from like a, a leaked sex tape right so like getting canceled is kind of like the new sex tape Um, And I could see how some people might even think about orchestrating it somehow, if that was your plan, if you had the foundation laid and your network built and the systems and funnels and places. But my recommendation to most people is that if your livelihood depends on the Leviathan, the blue church, the cathedral, if it depends on those people, you got to keep your mouth shut until you can change that. Disconnecting from the establishment, finding a way to earn money out there that's not a salary from a corporation that hates you and wants to brainwash you, or even just in the general mix of economic activity in the United States, at least, if you want to be a dissident with a voice, you better be financially, economically prepared. Uh, And so the first step to political sovereignty in the United States is definitely economic and financial sovereignty or or, true liberty is that you have to have independent source of income from from the system.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I and my my husband have done. You know, we have kind of online businesses that are, you know, separate from from anything. And I mean, yeah, podcasting is kind of one one part of that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's something I think people should learn how to do. And there are many, many ways to do this. Obviously, there's a lot of people trying to sell you pyramid schemes and stuff online. <laughs> Don't click on the, the, the pulsating ads. That's not the way to do it. But there are ways to do it. And I feel like, you know, um, that could be a very good direction for people in our space to just develop into that and, and just explain to people how you can build, you know, affiliate income or, you know, create, I don't know, websites or do even do services, you know, you don't even have to do them under your, your own name. You can, you know, create stuff for you know, third parties.
1: You know, I, I never want to be a dream killer for people, but like, it's really hard. I mean, making money online, especially through some sort of brand, like personal brand through your personality and just your thoughts and, ideas it's really it's really hard most people don't make it right most people don't make it and i'm I, i'm not lucky i mean i worked my ass off and i've been grinding at this since 20 you know for years but even before twitter like i established my voice and like how to write and stuff years before that even just posting thousands of times on forums and stuff uh going back as far as you know 2008 or 2009 but it's hard and most people don't actually break out and it takes a, a real combination of luck and hard work and a unique life set, uh, experience and actual depth of character and education and world worldly experience i think a lot of people get online and they see guys like myself or cernovich or jack Pasovic, or others i mean having a very successful time at it and being themselves truly all along the way but then kids kids in their twenties are like, Oh, I can do that too. But dude, you don't have any world experience. You don't have any true depth. Sure. You can talk about this one niche, but like you're going to talk about that for the rest of your life. You know, you have to have like a a well of education and, and work and world experience and life experience in order to stand out. And then you have to have an event happen. And then there has to be a network that you've built and so many things have to line up for it to be really successful that I, I don't, you know, generally say, Hey guys, quit your job. I'm just, you know, Oh, you got 500 Twitter followers, quit your job, go for it. (laughs) No, no way, man. If you are going to make a transition like that, make sure that your side hustle becomes bigger than your main hustle before you make the switch, or at least that there's really, you know, potential for that. I worry when I see kids get excited and young guys get excited and they DM me and they ask me, how can I do what you're doing? I used to respond. I don't, I can't respond anymore to everybody, but I don't want to discourage people, but it is a grind. It is a grind. And, and who knows what would have happened to me had I not gotten canceled. I mean, I like to think that my content's good enough to stand on its own. It certainly is now. Um, but like this being discovered, being discovered is, is, is one of the most difficult things. And so if you're going to do this, you got to figure out how to make it pop one day through, through your, your sex tape or you know some amazing <laughs> network that you've built out yeah. or become the news. You gotta make the news. You have to be really proactive about it. I was just thinking, I was just talking to my um, fiance now uh, about, about you know all this and, and our life and stuff. And, and I'm excited because I've got uh, Christopher Rufo and James Lindsay coming on together for a panel show, the three of us. I'm like, we can do this and look, we're peers me Rufo and Lindsay we're peers we've been working at this together we've been working on this stuff together but why are we peers because I wanted to be I just made it happen so there's a semblance of like you have to just really be super aggressive and just go and just pursue and pursue and pursue and uh that's a rare skill set and circumstantial set and all these things that come together to produce success stories where there's you know a million failures unfortunately not to be a downer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a million failures in, in, in many industries. I mean, I, I used to uh, kind of, my, my main profession is in, in finance, and finance for startups. So yeah, I'm I'm familiar <laughs> with a million failures. It happens in, in complicated industries as well. I think that's, Definitely. you know, just as a pattern in life. Uh, uh-huh. But you, you make a really good point that, you know, you need some background you need to kind of have lived you need to kind of have you know a life experience to be able to have nuanced positions about what's going on it's very hard to be a commentator if you're just like flying off the bench of your i don't know high school or university or god forbid your university because right. yeah
1: right it's, you know I, I there was a lot um uh, no names here but there was a lot of guys that i sort of came up with um who are just stuck just in a cycle and a rut they just can only talk about the same thing you know whether it's like relationships or like how to sell courses or whatever they're just stuck it's the only thing they have to talk about there's no breadth there's no depth you really have to have a range and uh luckily for me i just had that education and stuff beforehand and uh, i'm able to pull on that and and i'm also just a lifelong learner too like my whole podcast you know my whole show is just about me following my own curiosity it's just about me just trying to learn i just want to talk to experts i want to read their books i want to dig into it i want to get their their dig into their arguments and learn along the way and i've done about 70 70 75 shows now all in and it's been an incredible educational experience for me holy cow like what an honor is it is to to take like the latest book that's fascinating everybody, like say Christopher Caldwell, Age of Entitlement. Read the book, call a friend. Hey, do you think we can get Caldwell on the show? Boom, Caldwell's on the show, and I get to talk to him and interview him for an hour and ask all the questions that I want to ask. It's uh, it's been exciting and rewarding, and it just feeds on itself. So, being an autodidact and just uh, continuously trying to learn is also an essential part of this like uh, this online commentating game, as it were.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely it's hard not to be addicted to it because that kind of fuels the the machine, you yeah. know. It's yeah. It's there's a tension there that I mean I I feel it every day. I, I I love this shit. That's this is my jam. I constantly am plugged into it, but I also want to you know i have I'm, I'm gonna be a mom soon, so I have to pace myself a little bit because it's yeah it's you know it's it's my passion it's been for a while but you know it's it's also yeah it kind of it kind of steals your soul a little bit Um,
1: (laughs) no it feeds mine man feeds mine it's joy for me all this is joy everything i'm doing today is perfectly aligned with my values my mission my day-to-day activities what I think is right for the world, like everything. I'm in perfect alignment. There's no soul stealing going on here. I'm as refreshed and energized as I've ever been in my entire life. And, uh, you know, I'm 45 and I finally, I've got it. I I finally figured it out.
0: (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. I feel, I feel
1: confident in saying that now, like I've definitely figured it out. It took me, took me a long time. Three kids, divorces, (laughs) like, failures at work, you know, bankruptcies in the real estate game back in 2000, you know, 7 and 8. You know, just uh, took a lot and and uh I think the 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 lesson to take for younger guys uh, or even older is like just failure's part of the game, bro. <laughs> like you got to get out there, you got to fail, you got to learn and uh success American success stories if you go back, there's a lot of failures in everybody's story. So just keep grinding y'all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I mean I'm I'm 32 now, so I mean, not sure I could say I I've, I've lived this long and I've had as many failures at least in terms of bankruptcy. No bankruptcy yet. I've had I've had enough and I feel like I've I've, I've had enough scrapes to to kind of get to that point, but I I kind of echo your sentiment as well. Like I'm kind of in that phase where I'm so excited about this whole podcast thing because I have just started it like I don't know, mid-January or something and it's all amazing, but also the baby, so I'm kind of now trying to see. Okay, priorities will have to switch, but at the moment, I'm still definitely plugged into the game. Um, but I those also...
1: babies sleep a lot at the beginning. Don't worry.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm told. You know, <laughs> <I'll> just, <laughs> I'll just let it let it sleep and record a few episodes. Um, I also wanted to ask you about kind of the the, the pickup artist community because there's a lot of kind of convergence from. I mean you could call it the manosphere, men's rights, there's a lot of kind of forums that, you know, there's a bit of overlap between them, you know, even MGTOW is kind of like at the periphery of that, you know, there's a lot of um, people um, drifting into right wing politics from that sphere. And it's been a really generative space, especially for ballsy men who didn't really care that much about, you know, what other people thought about them and came out and and said what was on their mind, both about women and relationships, but also about apparently conservative politics, which, you know, you could see that, you know, like people like Cernovich kind of drifted into this space. Um, But it doesn't look like it used to look at least i don't know i've, I've i'm a lurker i've been <laughs> kind of been lurking around these forums for a long time uh and it's you know the the old days of roosh uh have gone for have been gone for a long time so i what's what's your feel about that community at the moment like what's what's going on there because i feel like it's all gone very hippie woo a little bit or kind of maybe a little bit uh i don't know trad <laughs> yeah kind of-
1: well man, there's a lot there's a lot there. first first of all, I'd say I am relatively disconnected from that community at this point. Um, I don't do much content consumption as it is. Uh, I'm reading book after book after book preparing for podcasts and such. Uh, but I don't I don't really have much involvement in that community whereas I, I definitely did and I will certainly uh, claim that that's how I got my start. I was, you know, I was very active on the roof forums back in the day, as were a lot of notable people that your names that you know today. Uh, the heyday was definitely like 2009 or 10. And, uh, you know, th- there's a reason why that space evolved into politics. It's because the same problems that befuddled bedroom and dating and the mating markets are also part of our national disease and it's a, you know the attack on masculinity the diminishment of male power destruction of the family unit the empowerment of the liberal single you know white female as queen of the universe you know subjecting our nation to their every woman fancy despite the fact that they're the most uh, mentally ill population in america we're being led around by crazy single white ladies which is just facts and there's that overlap because the the solution to the dating and mating market is the same solution to the political sphere we need men to stand the fuck up and just be men right like that's the answer in both circumstances uh, be the best version of yourself that you can be understand that masculinity and femininity are complementary and necessary equally but complementary different they fit together to make a whole and so if you accurately diagnose what's going on with dating and mating, it's the same accurate diagnosis of what's happening in the political system. And for me personally, I started pulling on this thread when I got divorced, you know, 2008 or so, you know, I just wanted to figure out what how to date, how to date again. You know, I how old was I? Goodness, I don't remember, like, you know, late 30s or whatever, mid 30s, no younger than that. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I had been in a relationship for ten years, you know? so I went out looking. Somebody mentioned the game. I was like, "What's that?" And I got the book, and I read the whole book, and I was like, "Wait, what? There's a system behind this? Oh my god!" And that was just the rabbit hole. But I've been pulling on that same thread all the way to today, to talking to Alexander Dugan, right? Like. I'm just pulling on the same thread, asking the same questions. Why are male-female dynamics out of whack? Why are families out of whack? Why is fatherhood out of fashion? Just keep pulling on it. And here we are talking about geopolitics and like the deepest uh, philosophical questions facing all of us. And it's been really fascinating to see how those fringe niche conversations, tinfoil hat conspiracy things that people thought we were all crazy is now really in the mainstream dialogue. It really is. Uh, I remember the Kavanaugh hearings, and then uh, the American Psychological Association all around the same time condemning, you know, masculinity basically is, is toxic. Those events to me were like, even when I finally just was like, okay, it's true, it's real. These issues are real. This is what's facing the country. the The language of radical feminism rang out in the halls of the Senate Judiciary, and it was just undeniable at that point and it's now seeping into the mainstream conversation where people are like oh yeah masculinity it's an issue where why, why aren't there more masculine men and what's interesting about my audience now is that it's not you know it's just a fraction of the old manuscript guys you know a lot of them are still with me a lot of them have blocked me also out of sheer envy and jealousy i know this uh and and i'm now reaching just a, a much broader audience and so i can talk about some of these issues that we discussed you know on the forums and back in the day uh i can talk about them now and it's news it's fresh to people it's fresh and they're like yes this makes sense this this helps explain this weird feeling that i'm having so i do remember a few years ago uh my friend ivan told me he's like you're gonna be the bridge between the 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 dark corner niche manosphere and like general political space and the general uh, public space and I sort of disregarded him at that time but uh, that that comment but he's actually been right uh, and I just have a unique life experience circumstances and education capabilities talents maybe even uh, that has allowed me to actually make that transition uh, and not that I'm after credentialing or anything, but I am doing the Claremont fellowship this summer. And so in some ways that's like the final stamp on this new persona, Jack Murphy pseudonym, right? Not my real name, even though it is pretty much now, whole new persona was created and established and a reputation developed. And now I'm going to be a Claremont fellow as Jack Murphy. So it's a, really fascinating process of like unearthing all the stuff and taking it into the mainstream and now literally taking it into like a mainstream think tank, right? Like I'm going to be sitting there with Charlie Kirk and others at the, at the fellowship And uh, I will certainly be dropping red pills every day there. And it cracks me up when I go on like Tim Pool and stuff and in the comments they are like, oh, bass jack, bass jack, bass jack. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I suppose if this is the first time you've been hearing some of these things. To me, it's just the conversations that we've been having, you know, for gosh, what, 13 years now.
0: Yeah, the, it feels to me as well like there's a there's a tension between kind of these these fringe corners, because I mean, I'm, I'm not a creature of the manosphere. Like I said, I've, I'm, I'm a lurker. <laughs> it's always just been fascinating to me to read to stuff. I agree with a lot of it. And I feel like there's, you know, a lot of generative stuff coming out of those forums. Mm-hmm. I'm more apparently, at least lately, a creature of the kind of fringe uh, fringe right on, you know, the an- and on Twitter. <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like I've, I've been acting a little bit as a bridge for some of those conversations, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is quite spicy and it's it's a bit and there's also the tension that you know like who am i i'm someone coming in from the outside i mean i i've been part of these conversations for a while but you know how are you legit and how are you are have you been anointed to be the person who takes the conversation to the mainstream no (laughs) anointing
1: necessary you just do it that's what i was saying before right like james lindsay and chris and rufa we're, we're friends we talk we collaborate on stuff but like me visually putting us three together, you know, that's me just making it happen. And I get to set the frame and I get to tell my story and I have taken charge of my narrative, right? That was the big lesson for me from the doxing was tell your own story the way you want it to be told. And first, you do it for yourself, right? Because you the personal narrative you tell yourself that's running in your mind Helps shape your actions, your behaviors, and in turn shapes the world around you. If you tell yourself you're going to do this and you are this thing and you're this kind of person and you do it over and over and over again, eventually you become that person. Fake it till you make it is a real thing. It's a real thing. And I learned the power of narrative in the doxing circumstances in January of 2018 when people were trying to tell a story about me that wasn't true. So what did I do? I went on the offensive and told my story my way over and over and over and over and over and over 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 again. And now the thread that I have on my Twitter profile that tells the whole story documented with all the blog posts and all the cross references and everything has been seen damn near three, three million times now. And so I won that narrative battle and I continue to win it and I continue to shape my own narrative and take my life and my reality into my own hands. You can create reality through the stories you tell yourself and others. That was the big, that was my big takeaway. So don't wait for anyone to anoint you. <laughs> Do it.
0: Yeah. I think, I think there's also, you know, you, you kind of have to be that, that certain type of personality profile where, you know, once they come for you, you you kind of know who you are and you just, you don't let that that first wave, you know, dis- destabilize you. And, you know, because th- there's, there's all, even now, I'm sure there are people who think, you know, that you are a, an evil person and they're, they're in their own corner of, of Twitter or, or corner of the internet who is just like quetching all day about how Jack Murphy's a Nazi or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that doesn't really matter that much to you because you have your own, essentially, army of people that you know supports you in more ways than one and yep. it's it's yeah it's fine it's absolutely fine to be to be hated by some
1: it is it is if you're not hated then you're not really saying anything interesting that's for sure
0: yeah um i also wanted to uh, congratulate you because uh, oh, like you, you said you have a uh, fiance now you're going I to do. get married you're going to we get- are uh, a man of uh, of your word, of <laughs> your man of honor. Um, but I mentioned, I remember you mentioned on a podcast that you were kind of in a kind of an ethically non monogamous relationship, and I'm curious, kind of what what the next step is. What what type of marriage is this going to be? And <laughs> if have you have you uh, repented your ways, are you going to be a monogamous person, or uh, you know, what's what's your your take on on the future of your relationship?
1: That's a tough one that's a tough one um you know I tend to think about these things in two different ways there's one like what works for me and then there's what works for society right. And in aggregate, I do not think that most people can handle or should even entertain, much less indulge in any sort of ethical non-monogamy. Certainly not unethical non-monogamy, right? That should be against for everybody, right? Honesty and openness is the essential part. And I just don't think that that's a viable long-term societal solution, right? So call me a hypocrite, maybe, I don't know. I just know what works for me. I can tell you that, um, well, the truth is, is that we've had a conversation, she and I, and we have decided that we're going to make that part of our relationship less public. And so uh, we started off anonymous totally anonymous jack murphy is not my real name didn't use any pictures nothing so a lot of the early writings and early podcast stuff it was it was much easier to be uh open personally about intimate details of your life and it's it was also just a way to get noticed right as an anon with no reputation and no bio no anything you know, uh, there are different ways to get noticed. One of them is to be, you know, like totally revealing. Just open up the robe and just show the whole world who you are. It's easy when you're anonymous. But now that I'm a public figure, not all of my life has to be public. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, generally speaking, 99.99% of the time, we are, you know, 100% traditional in a traditional sense of the word. I see it more as like a release valve. And I see it more as like... A, there's, it's a pitfall that people that people walk into in the future. You know, they think that they're never going to be attracted to anybody else. They think that they're never going to have their head turned or want to have a random experience or whatever the case may be. And then it happens, and they feel guilty, and then they lie, and then they get divorced, and everything is screwed up. It's very very normal for people to have sexual experiences. You know, uh, humans aren't actually strictly monogamous. Strict monogamy means you have one mate for your whole life. Like, the math pretty much lines up and tells us, statistically speaking, that humans are not monogamous. We're serially monogamous. Even in the United States, you know, what's the average number? It's like six or seven sexual partners or something like that, on average. That being said, we are making a commitment to each other in front of our family, in front of our community, and in front of God, with God, together to create a union that we are committed to for the rest of our lives. What that form is, you know, it's special and unique to us, but the commitment to the family unit, to being together, to being a partnership, to building a future together, to be productive together, to build a business and a life together. These are commitments that will be honored and cherished, of course. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I decided to marry her when the, level of commitment that she was giving me was beyond what i would recommend for my own daughter without being married right like she quit her job to work with us and build a business together she's been a loving stepmother to my children and our children our family now for seven years 100 percent dedicated and loyal in every which way you know, happily uh, involved in our sort of traditional dynamics. You know, uh, I'm definitely the leader in the household and uh, she gave, she, she was willing to do everything and I love her and I trust her and I believe in her and her demonstrated commitment to our relationship. You know, I wanted to reciprocate that. And so we're getting married and I'm excited about it and I can't wait for the future. And I can't wait to have the ceremony and to make our promises and to, you know, demonstrate to the community that this is something that we think is valuable and important to demonstrate it to my children, that marriage and family is important and building a a union and building a life together is important. And so in some ways I'm modeling for them, I'm modeling for myself, I'm rewarding her, I'm getting what I want. I'm modeling also for, you know, the public being a public figure. It's a weird kind of place to be, but, uh, it's the most natural and, and joyous thing in my life. I've got every day that goes by since the engagement, I'm just happier and happier about it and just more and more excited about it. And it uh, just feels good. It feels good. You know, like it's settled, right? It's like settled. The trial period is over. The, the, my healing is done, you know, from my old relationships, from my divorce, you know, like... I had to go through a process myself. I met her too soon, is what happened, right? Like, I I met her too soon in my recovery process from failed relationships, and uh, she was willing to, you know, let me work that out, and uh, and I have, and here we are, and I uh, couldn't be happier about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you highlight a an important thing about being, you know, a public figure because people people do tend to want you to be their god, you know, they, they see that you're a source of red pills of baseness, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they see you as a source of truth. And then that means oh man, this guy's got his life, you know, together, I, I shall emulate him and every every word that comes from his mouth is going to be my new law. Uh, and some stuff works, because you know, some stuff is, you know, generalizable, and some stuff, probably won't work you know like you said that there's there are some things that you know you've kind of worked out for yourself and you know kind of you're you're doing this um you know you've negotiated this life for yourself with everyone around you and your community i think you know that's that's fair enough because i mean you know just looking back at my family you know we've it wasn't necessarily the, the most traditional family, but there's a lot of cheating, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, you know, n- not very ethical things happening, and it led to a lot of instability. Um, you know, it's 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 a tough one. It's it's very hard to say. Okay, yeah, you know, I personally would be I would would not engage into any sort of non monogamy, but that's that's also kind of like I'm at this stage. I'm I'm recently married. You know, this is my life now. I'm going to have children. You know, <laughs> being being extremely trad. But um, I think it's, it's still a, it's, it's a nuanced discussion. But like you said, this is probably a very destabilizing type of lifestyle for most people. And that's a very tense area where, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, to, to, to explain this to people, to say, okay, you know, tread carefully. This is probably going to nuke your life because it, it typically does, unfortunately, for a lot of people.
1: Well, you know what it what is the element that nukes people nukes the relationship in my mind uh, in these cases it's it's the, the the destruction of trust right like deceit lying sneaking cheating those those things are very hard to come back from moments of jealousy those things fade you know that fades i, I think um, there's
0: there's also you know the, the power imbalance that this sometimes betrays like for example if you're if you're in a relationship and there's always someone who's a bit more invested in the relationship and that's typically the person uh, who will concede (laughs) whatever form of relationship the other person wants Uh, you know you could say that this you know this is already kind of a doomed relationship because you know they're not on equal footing but is any relationship completely on equal footing so a lot of times it's someone in a kind of strong arming someone else into a a format that you know they're like i'll do it for you
1: that's such a that's such a loaded way of saying things the way that i always framed it for people was this i have created a world i love my world i live in my world i'm opening up this door and i'm inviting you to come into my world you don't have to
0: yeah. That's a very like sovereign and, and mature way of putting it. I'm sure I'm sure this can be done. But as as far as I know, I know a few relationships on this pattern that you know have uh, have exploded in, in, in many pieces. And it was I think maybe better to frame it as a strong army situation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it brings up the question, it's a good question of is it possible to live your life one way and give advice to to people to live their lives a different way and is that hypocrisy or is that actually nuance or is that self-awareness or is it ignorance it's a it's a question that i have often grappled with i think that we look at like say our leaders our rulers and if the rulers are like everybody do this and then behind the closed doors they're doing the opposite deceitfully well that's whack right? Rules for me, for thee, but not for me. Right. Um, so I've, I've grappled, I've grappled with that. I know that, that like things that work for me personally, aren't, aren't what I'm recommending. Like no, very few people understand the amount of, uh, emotional maturity involved in being completely honest with somebody. (laughs) Like most people just aren't. They just aren't. And it comes from fear, I think a lot. So you have to be extremely confident and you have to be strong and, and it's, a, it's, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. And uh, I'd say our, our pat, you know, our dating time, you know, pre, pre-marriage cause we haven't gotten married yet. Uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time working and talking and communicating and sharing and growing. And we're always just dedicated to emotional growth together and uh that is a skill that you develop over time you know and and not everybody comes with that skill into their relationships some people never develop that skill so i don't know um it's something that i often think about and uh you know who knows what the future is going to bring but i know that right now like uh man i'm just excited and she's excited and Wedding talk now. We were having wedding talk at the dinner table with my, you know, all the kids were there. And I looked at my son and I said, you ready for wedding talk for 15 months?
0: <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. He said, like, no. <laughs> so you guys are going to have a a, a big, uh, like a big shindig? Big, uh,
1: big big's probably not the right word, but like, uh, you know, we're going to have a, a wedding. That's for sure. And uh, we've been shopping for, for our locations and such right now. And uh, it's going to be fun. The, the whole point is to make a public proclamation, a public commitment, right? Um, you know, when you make a commitment in front of your community, you know, you you want to uphold it and in front of your family and you want to honor somebody in front of your family. The whole thing is about being public. You know, it's we live together. We've built a life together. She works with me. We we have everything shared already, right? The The change is going to be the public commitment in front of everyone. And uh, that part's exciting.
0: Yeah, well, I, I am excited for you. I mean, that, that makes me a, a little bit jealous. I had to have like a kind of a, sh- almost a shotgun COVID wedding. <laughs> but oh. yeah, I, I can't wait to. I think we're going to have a, a, a celebration in New Zealand with, with kind of a, an extended family situation eventually. Nice. <laughs> but nice. not uh anytime soon but yeah that's uh that's a good idea i think i think you won't regret it um (laughs) um, i also wanted to ask you about uh kind of libertarianism in your in your past as a kind of you were a libertarian weren't you i think you went to to george mason
1: i sure did i sure did (laughs) i was definitely trained up as a libertarian and here's the funny part i started off as a philosophy major did the early stuff, did Plato and Republic and Rousseau and Locke and Hobbes and all that. And then we got to Marx. I took a whole semester on Marx. And uh, I was reading it, and I was like, man, economics sounds important. <laughs> so I switched. I became an economics major, and I didn't know it really at the time what it meant because I was like twenty years old, you know, or twenty one. and uh, You know, George Mason is an extremely libertarian economics and public policy school, uh, which I I learned what that meant while I was there. It was the first time I heard taxation is theft, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, so my just as it is when you go to college and you're not super critical of everything and you've been told, you know, you get taught that that definitely formed the foundation for my economic uh, and political and public policy perspectives. Then later in life, I went to Georgetown School Foreign Service, and I thought I was actually at a really democratic, like liberal place there, which it is right now. But l- later in life, I actually realized that they were the same. They were the same. The neoliberal consensus. It was the same. Libertarian free market ideology got fused into the Democratic Party. They became the Uniparty. Matt Stoller's done a lot of great writing on this in his book, Goliath. And so despite the fact that it was allegedly like a right-wing place at George Mason and an allegedly a left-wing place at Georgetown, I later figured out it was exactly the same thing. You know, free markets at all costs, open borders, free travel for everybody, free uh, trade, no tariffs and free capital flows and currency flows. Doesn't matter, man. Everything will work itself out. You know, there will be, uh, 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 what's the word? But yeah. Well, the invisible hand will, you know, there'll be positive destruction. There's a better phrase. Yeah. Creative destruction. It Creative yeah. destruction. Some right. Better. Yeah. And um, and then and then, yeah, we saw them try to implement it and still implement it. And it's all corrupted and it's all not coming out the way that they thought it would be in, in the theories. And so, you know, did did I grow up as a as a small libertarian? Sure. It was like, fuck you. Leave me alone. Right. That's that was how I was as a kid how i was as a teenager rejected all authority rejected my parental authority although my dad didn't earn it so he didn't deserve it uh rejected authority at you know school and the law and just everything you know i was a total rebel and uh so that sense of like stay out of my business government you know that's something that is just part of my soul that being said the failures in the marketplace are causing problems now to the point where the government may be the only one that can solve the problem. An idea, The idea that, that uh, the government influence or involvement in the markets or socially uh, is totally radioactive and off the table, that idea has died for me. Um, I, am, I am less inclined to believe that the government should stay out of everything no matter what as a rule. And I'm more inclined to say, okay, in certain circumstances, maybe the government does need to step in. And, you know, social media censorship is one of them. You know, the lack of antitrust enforcement is another one. Um, Libertarian ideas of free and open immigration, a billion Americans, whatever these things, like these ideas. Funny, one of my professors at Jordan Mason, Dr. Brian Kaplan, I remember he was a grad student still; didn't even have his PhD yet. I took uh, remember. oh law law and economics with him, and uh, it's been interesting to watch him grow. I don't like where he's landed. I have his cartoon children's book on you know free and open borders for everybody everywhere, and uh, you know I just don't agree with that notion. I don't agree with that notion. I don't agree with the neoliberal consensus, open borders for capital, for trade, for people, for, for everything. We need to think about our ourselves first, Americans first. It's a crazy radical notion, it seems like today, because it goes against the entire consensus. But that was what was appealing to me for Trump. Two things: Trump masculine energy, and you know, just like tossing out. The neoliberal consensus and like starting to think about how to be selective and how to foster parts of our economy. And then, of course, COVID comes and exposes all of our vulnerabilities, our national security risks from trade and bottlenecks, and the fact that we've got medicine and key supplies all made offshore. We basically offshored and outsourced uh, small tool machinery building. We don't know how to make essential components to our weapon systems. <laughs> like, we have just sent away key parts of our economy in return for making rich people rich and poor people poor. That's stupid. That's stupid. It's libertarian, big L. I don't know. I don't know what the end game is. In fact, I have tuned them out at this point because, and so I don't really know where the thinking is, you know, so I can't offer like a really substantive current critique. Uh, but I can just say from a fundamental level, that's where I have evolved evolved from i'm not talking about like heavy-handed government influence socialism no no i'm talking about like selective use of government power to sort of get the markets back in place right i don't think again matt Stoller, goliath everybody should read that book i had him on my podcast he's a democratic populist he'll lay out the same critique and uh, i just don't see the free hand as solving our problems at this point, because there's really not actually a free hand and it's all really been used as ideas has been used by the uniparty to just enrich in themselves and corporations. And so real libertarianism hasn't been tried. Maybe is, is the comment that you might come back from that, but uh, yeah, it's been an evolution a little bit, you know, but generally speaking, no, don't fuck with me. It's still my basic political philosophy.
0: Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of people are moving to that direction. And I, I have a kind of a similar trajectory as well. I'm also an economics major and kind of have a, a master's from the Austrian School of Economics in actual Austria. Um, and it's it's the same thing. You know, I I, I literally learned neoliberalism, you know, wh- whatever it is that, you know, we, we call it now. Uh, and I, I feel like on paper, libertarianism is extremely compelling because it's a it's a utilitarian way of looking at inputs, outputs, it, it has the best equations, I would say, but what it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look at at all is the human substrate that actually builds these markets, you know, like social capital. Things that, you know, family bonds, you know, the idea that if you move abroad to get a better job, that's just, oh, you're going to, you know, create surplus value and enrich the GDP. You know, you can enrich GDP by creating a war. There's still, you know, you can, you can move those equations in different directions, you know, get pluses on one side and minuses on the other in many, many ways. But the ways that we've been trying to do it have literally eroded profoundly that social capital that you know that actually gives rise to economic growth in the long term but is invisible to the equations to the napkin calculations of the libertarians so yeah that's that's been my i i
1: i agree with that and that's a very good way of putting it i mean labor mobility is a central component to open market neoliberal consensus and what that means is that they think that people will just get up and move to wherever the economic opportunities are be they inside their own city state nation or anywhere in the world and guess what it's a lie doesn't happen why because people like their communities they like where they live they like their families they like to be close to the people that they love they like tradition they don't like change yeah
0: and oh. that's good
1: yes no that's great it's great and and the and that's why it's so, as, as you said, it's dehumanizing. And it doesn't, not only does it not take into account human nature, it destroys the positive elements, some positive elements of human nature, right? Destroying community, okay? community is shown to make people happier, healthier, and wealthier. The opposite, if you destroy community, it makes them, what, sadder, sicker, and poorer what are what are we seeing in the united states sadder sicker and poorer breakdown and destruction of community no regard for community building all it was was a bunch of zeros ones and zeros the, you know fancy theories open up the borders open up the currency channels open up trade and people will just move to wherever the most money is guess what people aren't necessarily interested in the most money
0: yeah and in Crazy, a, in a right? way, yeah, it's, it's almost like, you know, everything's collapsed into Marxism, everything is pure materialism. And it's like, no, the, Marxism said, Oh, this is a way that, you know, most people get the best amount of resources. No, actually, no, we libertarians have a way to allocate resources, that's much better. And the only thing that matters is how much money you have in your pocket, and everyone's just going to move into that direction. Um, yeah, there's, there's much more to life than that. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's legitimate to, to reject these two theories on, on the simple grounds that they are Are very simplistic they're very you know monomaniacal about their focus on you know the the bottom line which is super important as well you know it's it is important but it's not the only way to look at life
1: gdp is not god like i can't believe that we even have to say that but chasing gdp growth and not even per capita right just gross 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 growth, growth in gdp has been the goal that and making rich people richer without any concern for the human element and then failing to understand that the human element is actually the foundation for all this economic success anyway <laughs> right why do you work hard and protect something well because it's meaningful to you why is it meaningful to you well probably because you're related to it or it's part of your community if you don't have any meaning if you're not embedded in a community if you're not embedded in your own history and lineage and such what, what, what is there, especially in a, in a decreasingly religious and spiritual uh, nation like the United States? Nobody has any meaning. That's one of the reasons why I'm getting married. Honestly, I wanted to commit to something bigger than myself. And I wanted to come together with somebody else to make something bigger and more important. Because that is a spiritual act. Getting out of yourself, building something bigger, focusing on something that's not exactly you, partially you, maybe, but something that's not entirely you, that's a spiritual act that gives you meaning, purpose. You know, I think we're, everybody's searching for meaning, who, people who don't have it, the lost folks, man and that's a lot of people. And, the, and, it, and, it, and it's not by accident; it's by design that people don't have any meaning, right? So we need to find a way to bring meaning back into people's lives, and community is a great way to do it. Marriage is a great way to do it. I'm exploring religion again. You know, it, it's it's been an interesting uh, journey for me in that regard. But I I see the value and I understand it. And uh, you know, meaning meaning could change everything for the United States. When yet, you know, postmodernism, whatever, no meaning, no meaning
0: none yeah or make make your own meaning go to the, the swedish buffet of meaning and assemble your own uh, identity stack uh to to uh <laughs> identity stack, create it. some some local meaning because there is no meaning obviously so you, you might as well <laughs> right yeah interesting yeah, it's, uh, I I feel you, I know, <laughs> I've just gotten married recently myself and, you know, kind of exploring religion after a, a long time being one of the most annoying atheists you can imagine. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a journey. Seen, I feel like a lot of people are doing that, but maybe that's also my echo chamber, because I surround myself with a lot of people who are on, on a very similar journey. But uh,
1: there's there's a reason why both Roosh and um, Victor Pride, do you know who Victor Pride was? He wrote a very famous and successful blog called Bold and Determined, and it predated Mike's success. It predated mine, of course. And uh, he was a hardcore, hardcore PUA community, evolved into self-improvement, as you do if you're being honest about PUA stuff, right? Because it really just comes down to being a better man. All pickup stuff is about faking being a better man until you become a better man and then just living authentically as a better man. That's it in a nutshell, if you guys need to know. But he, both he and Roosh found or, uh, orthodoxy, right? And they just, they left everything behind. I, I get that. They went out searching for meaning through sex and dating and relationships, found it wanting, found it empty, took, took Roosh a long time. He banned me from his comment section many, many, many years ago because I was like, bro, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and it and it took them time took them time to figure it out and uh victor pride had the same thing so like an evolution on that it's on the same path it's just a search for meaning and at that time for roosh and victor you know they thought they were going to find meaning from uh from sleeping around and dating a bunch of girls and i can tell you from experience that that does not bring any meaning to your life i've done it And what it, 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 it does have positives. There's no question about it. There's some validation. There's some affirmation. It's confidence building fun. I'm not taking that away from it, but there's no meaning. There can't be any meaning in it. And, and I was always looking for meaning too, which is, I was bad at hookup culture because, uh, I would, uh, you know, treat the women with respect and get to know them a little bit. And then they would freak out because they thought we were just hooking up. And then they're like falling in love with me. And then it was always a crisis. I was the worst at that because I was too kind and I wanted meaning, you know, and, uh, and, and now I've, I've got my own path towards meaning. I found it with the liminal order. I found it with the community that I built with 600 guys every day, I work of service to them and we're all working together to get better and to improve our own families and communities. A beautiful thing i'm I'm very lucky that I have that in my life and uh and now we're getting married so that we can have more meaning in our life and more and more commitment and um you know it's I am definitely a man of the times, right? I'm a product of the times, my life and view and my experiences are part of the times, whether it's from going through the whole dating thing and to find you know search for meaning and quest for that, or whether it's getting doxxed or being on social media or whatever it is, it's like somehow I've just become like, I am like an avatar of the the zeitgeist and uh, I've channeled that energy. And that's why I think I have legs on this because that's, that's what I do. Right. I just, I am myself. I discuss the current situation that has led me to be myself. And then I share this journey with people. So that actually will never tire. That will never get stale because life is always changing and we're always growing. Those guys we talked about earlier, just talking about the same shit every day, how to pick up a girl, how to do a neg, how to do whatever. It's like, come on guys. Like, come on, grow, grow. Not that you're listening to this. You already blocked me. Pussies.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, Roosh seems to seems to have, uh, you know, taken a completely different tack. I mean, I, I have not read his recent book, but it seems like he's pivoted quite uh, quite strongly. Me neither. Me neither yeah um i feel like i might get my i might get my spiritual illumination from other sources mm. just just that's just my <laughs> my personal uh but you know it, it might be it's kind of like mary magdalene maybe she is the actual best source for uh, for spiritual uh guidance um I, you mentioned uh hookup culture as well and i mean you you said you not you're not the best because you were you were too kind there's um a, a lot of a lot of pitfalls and you know i, I discuss hookup culture quite a lot because it's um it seems to be a very inefficient equilibrium for people who actually want to have long-term relationships or you know want to get married or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and you know it's it's very much app-driven at the moment. I'm not sure how it was when you were <laughs> engaged in it, but it was yeah, quite, you know, quite strongly oriented towards the the algorithms, you know, that's kind of how you found someone. Um and there's a lot of issues with that. I I wonder what what your vibe is with with hookup culture like
1: I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I guess that I'm not good at it. Even if my intention was just to like have a few dates and have sex, I still couldn't just be like cold about it. And I still couldn't not ask questions and not be interested and not want to be kind. And uh, that, again, that made problems. You know, I'm a, I'm an attractive guy and I'm tall and I'm successful and, you know, I'm kind. And so like that didn't make me a good hookup partner. (laughs) <laughs> because you know inevitably they're like wow this guy's really nice and tall and successful why am i doing this the, he's being the nice truth
0: to is that the the girls don't really necessarily want to hook up they want no. to you know stop it stop the the roundabout but they are they also you know they they go on dates and they go on dates with you know a successful tall guy like you and they're like oh, okay stop actually no, yes. notice how it works right.
1: right no that's not how it <laughs> works and and um look, there are certain circumstances in people's lives in which like maybe a casual encounter could be helpful. You know, like a woman that just got divorced or whatever is not feeling good about herself. Maybe she goes out there and she gets a little validation from it or same thing for a guy or when you're exploring or getting to know yourself or just having fun, maybe. But at the end of the day, like if your goal is to seek meaning through this, it will fall short. And sex is so complicated and chemical and emotional, but it brings meaning to it, whether there should be or not a good meaning, bad meaning, right? It's uh, it's powerful stuff. And, um, you know, we're, we're currently on trend to go back in time and learn all of the lessons that caused us to think that societally enforced monogamy was a good idea, <laughs> right? We're like, we're like, we're like devolving to the point where somebody Someday in maybe ten years, is going to be like maybe arranged marriages are what we should do.
0: They're already doing that. Yeah, some some friends of mine, Justin Murphy and and default friend, are doing arranged marriages, and a a few people are talking about this already.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It takes the notion of like, oh, I have to be in love with somebody to get married. Takes that out of the equation, and it really presents it as a long-term, loving but productive relationship, right? There's a, there's a productive goal to it. The reason why people say society benefits from the family unit is because it, it's a productive unit, right? It's not a self-indulgent love unit. It's a productive building block of society. And we don't, we don't necessarily see it that way. It's like, you have to be my one. You have to be my everything. You, know, you have to be my soulmate. And then as you get older, women especially, the standards go down, standards go down. I do remember very vividly uh, Singles, a movie about uh, the grunge scene and dating in Seattle in the 90s. And one of the main characters, this woman, she's like, I have this long list of all these things that I love, that I need in a man, and the last one was, and he says, bless you after I sneeze. And by the end of the movie, her list has gotten whittled all the way down to, he says, bless you when I sneeze. And the last scene is like the guy saying, bless you to her in the elevator or whatever. But that happens over time, right? You know, because it, people don't have the right frame of reference for it, you know? And, and my fiance and soon to be, wife, I call her my wife already because in my mind, I've made a commitment. I've already made the commitment. I want her to be my wife, she's my wife. She's my wife, right? Like I don't need a government document to tell me that. I don't need anyone else to tell me she and i have already gone through the chemical infatuation phase we've already gone through the like all we can do is just like have sex and cook and stay in for nine months you know those are fun times right we've gone through all of that and now we're actually literally on like okay how are we gonna build this family entity right economic spiritual with the children everything And uh, that's the attitude that we're going into it with already having been through crisis, right? She stuck with me through the whole doxing stuck with me through being completely flat, broke, being completely shunned and shamed from society. And let me tell you, getting doxing is really fucking hard on your soul. Right? It's like hard on your spirit. I was not in a good place and she stuck with me. And now she's here when everything's going good and, you know, very successful and there's money and everything. She's still here too. So like, I know that we're committed to building something together and we're not confused by that chemical infatuation, which people will seek. They seek out and then they get disappointed when it goes away after 18 months. They're like, wait, we're not in love anymore. I don't, it's just, it's, it's the process, but that's passionate love. This very quick high spike at the beginning. And then it fades very quickly. But what uh, Jonathan Haidt calls companionate love, the, the chart for this is much slower with a much more gradual slope. But over time, the area under the curve is far greater than the area under the curve of passionate love. And companionate love takes time to build. And it takes trust and it takes experience and it takes wisdom in your relationship. But by the time you can build this thing, it turns out to be far, a far greater reward and return. Uh, Than consistently seeking out that passion spike at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like hookup culture does really fuel that search for, for, you know, the passion spike. Like I, I know a lot of my, my friends and, and girlfriends are, are kind of stuck in, you know, serial monogamy chasing that high. Cause they're like, okay, you know, uh, we know we, we're just not, I'm just not in love with him anymore or something like that. And then they break up after two years and I'm like, this is a sixth one. <laughs> right. You're, you're 32 by now. Um, right. It's, Maybe, maybe it's you. (laughs) Maybe it's not. It's not, you know, the fact that they're not the one or something. It's just, you know, there's, there's a certain, you know, if there's a pattern to how you react to all of these relationships, you know, there might be something biological at the bottom. And then, you know, if you want to have something longer term, you need to figure out how to, you know, wiggle your way either out of that or how to make your peace with that or, you know, just, just, yeah, follow, follow through that.
1: Well, it's a failure of society to pump into people's brains that you're going to be able to chase that spike of passion and that it should be there all the time and this person should be your soulmate and your total source of electricity and spark and inspiration at all times definitely not pardon me for one second i have been sick i've canceled a number of appearances this week but not this one Aww. fyi
0: Thank you. Thank you for for coming on. I mean, I've I've also cancelled a few because I'm like I'm at the at the stage where I'm like really swollen, <laughs> yeah. but it's it's all good and I'm happy we we got to do this.
1: I'm surprised you haven't had to get up and pee yet.
0: It's actually surprising. I have no <laughs> idea how he's positioned, but he's been kind of gentle on on that particular region, so it's <laughs> been good. It's been good. Um, yeah, I, I also wanted to ask you about. Um, I think you know it's kind of in the same vein, because you posted a story about, a, I think, a former friend or colleague who was like, uh, said that she was microaggressed by, a, you know, a, someone, a worker, uh, and she had a, a weird reaction. And she's kind of from that generation of women who's, you know, what, around 3040 at the moment. Uh, yeah, and I I get a lot of questions from women in that in that age category asking me like, what now? <laughs> what should I do? Um, what What should they do? I have I don't know what answers to give them because I can barely, you know, negotiate with women in my own generation. <laughs>
1: so you're, you're asking me what, what advice do you give 40 year old women who are unmarried and unattached at this point?
0: Yeah, exactly. Who maybe are now kind of toying with uh, the fact that, uh, you know, maybe they're, they're, Previous orientation towards you know screeching feminism wasn't necessarily the best idea, but they're they're kind of they're, they're slowly morphing into reality.
1: I mean that's tough, that's tough. They that that Gen X, Gen X basically Gen X women uh, have were certainly told a whole boatload of lies. Right, you can have it all. Take care of your career. There'll be a man waiting for you when you're 35. Kids will be waiting for you at 35 fucking lies lies it's not me that decided it but basically 24 year old women are hot to everybody all the time and there's always a brand new 24 year old woman out there sorry to say and women have been told lies they'll be beautiful forever you'll be attractive forever you get babies till you're 45 fucking ivf whatever or that career will make you more make you happier and give you meaning is a lie. So like the first thing is just acceptance, but that's tough, dude. I can't imagine being a 45 year old woman today and being like, man, I have to accept the fact that I was lied to. And that I made bad decisions. Now what do I do? And the truth is, is if you're in your forties and you're a woman, you better start lowering those standards real quick. (laughs) Find a decent guy, probably older, probably 50 something and get with him and he'll be grateful. Maybe a second, second wife. You know, I don't know. It's dismal. dismal there's always a fresh crop of girls to compete with and that's never going to change it's never going to change for women unfortunately and then for a guy like me as i get older i just my value gets higher like my available options sexually or for mating or, or marriage are greater now than they've ever been and yet the the pool of me is diminishing relative to the women so I don't know. It's really hard. I mean, my advice to younger women is to really seek you out and try to get your partner squared away in your mid twenties. You know, your career will be there afterwards. You can always go back to school. You can always do this. You can always work part time. The kids will be in elementary school in fricking five years and you'll be bored out of your mind. Anyway, you'll be wanting to work. It'll be fine. It's tough. And, and this is why arranged marriages seem to have worked. This is why when the church and everybody was like, Hey, y'all should get married real quick. Why don't we hook you guys up? Boom. You're married. These were good things. These were good things. These weren't bad things. Replacing that with hookup culture and aging, childless, unmarried women, bad, bad. I've said this before. It's going to take what I call a generation of crazy Aunt Margarets, right? The women who are in their 20s are going to have to see a generation of women in their 40s who are miserable and unhappy having followed the advice that they're being given. And they're going to just have to look up and be like, I don't want that. I'm going to do the opposite of whatever they're doing so that I can, I can be happy. And, and I think we're beginning to reach that, that mass of, of, of crazy aunt Margaret's might take a little bit, but uh, you know, the next generation that's coming up, they're seeing the negative effects and that I think will be the biggest lesson. You know, I don't want that for me. So there's going to be a lost generation of women. Feminism has created a lost generation of women. There's no question.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I I feel like these these were the women kind of who were kind of in their mid twenties when you know kind of hookup start hookup culture started for for real, and they were like okay now you're empowered now it's time to to seek your your destiny uh, and you know because the thing is you know if you if you go through hookup culture for a while you realize that you know like you said it's you know it's not very fulfilling you know it, it doesn't really work out and then you kind of you know you you become your own backlash and then you 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 understand that okay you know we need i need to seek out something else but for a lot of these you know 20 something women They were already on the crest of this of this wave when they figured it out but they've already kind of passed past you know the the age where it was easy to to backtrack so they have a lot of cognitive dissonance about feminism in general and they're like and they seem to be very entrenched and i feel like these these are the women who are like at the women's marches and you know the the pussy hats and you know they're they're all in now they they put their eggs in this basket and that's it because
1: Pun intended
0: there. All their <laughs> yeah. eggs
1: are in that basket. Oh, that's a good tweet in there. I'm gonna f- I'll, I'll figure that out eventually. There's a good tweet in there. Um, I see with my, when I was younger, when I was a child, I had a disrupted household full of crisis. My mom was a substance abuser and very emotionally immature and stunted from her own traumatic childhood severely traumatic childhood and she truly did the best that she could i think but she certainly had issues my dad crazy issues still to this day unresolved issues they got divorced they were never happy they were fighting i was abused i was left all by myself i started having sex at a very early age i was i was very sexually active at an early age in addition to committing crimes and vandalism and sneaking out and all these things terrible things that everybody said it's like your fault. Why are you doing this? What's wrong with you? Now I see my kids, teenagers, high school, they have no interest in dating. None. It's bizarre to me. At their age, I was sexually active. At their age, they literally have no interest. None. No interest whatsoever. They're also effortlessly not criminals. Oh, amazing. What is the difference? The difference is that they grew up in a loving, despite the divorce we provided a stable, loving circumstance for them where they feel safe and secure. They don't have any emotional needs that are going unmet. They're not lacking for a father figure. They're not lacking for a mother figure. And their behavior reflects that. They get good grades. They do what they're supposed to do. They're mature and responsible. They're not sexually active at 15 and 16. They're not seeking out something to save them or to fill a hole in their life or to be the daddy that they didn't have. And I wonder if we can have a whole generation of that again, right? All you got to do is love your kids and they probably won't do a lot of stupid things. Just be there for them. The the generation that I grew up in, that's you know, my mom was an empowered woman and the second wave feminism and all these things. And so like the focus on raising a kid in a stable household and stuff like that just didn't seem to be there for me. And for a lot of my friends, so maybe, maybe we're, we're training the future of people to not even be interested in hookup culture, right? If you don't have a gaping hole in your life to fill, maybe you won't seek it out through such ephemeral and destructive, destructive ways
0: yeah no I, mm. I i like i like that that point and i, I hope you're right because um, you know people have been asking me like okay now you're you're having a, a boy and you know what what are you gonna teach him you know how are you gonna gonna you know, lock him in a bunker and <laughs> teach him your based ways and i definitely will not be able to do that because you know the, the world outside is more interesting than mom or dad so i think you know mm. the the only Don't thing... diminish
1: that whatsoever your kids will learn so much from you you've got no idea they listen to every throwaway comment. They read your mind. They sense your emotions. They see your behaviors. They learn from you in such profound ways. Don't discount that whatsoever. In fact, please focus on that responsibility. It's huge. My son, man, he's so based just from listening to me. I, sometimes I worry I'm not giving him enough of the full picture. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, because they just observe and, and 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 absorb even when you don't think they are even when they're sitting over there on their phone, and you're talking to your wife, they're listening. They're listening. So you have, you'll have you have more influence than you think. The outside world isn't yeah. really that interesting.
0: But but not in, I feel like, you know, a, a lot of people want to kind of f- force it, you know, you know, like the authoritarian parent who's just going to say, you know, not in my house and things like that. But I think like you can influence much more by just providing a stable, like you said, loving environment, just being a decent person, setting a good example, you Present. know, having a a logical order in our house. Like, I know that, you know, the baby is kind of my responsibility because it's a baby and I need to, you know, take care of it in a very physical way. And, you know, there's a lot of nurture and and feeding and everything involved. And then once he's a little bit more independent, then my husband's going to step in and teach him, you know, the ropes of being a man, which is a a different thing. Um, And
1: Definitely. That's a really good point for, for, for young parents to realize is that uh, the babies need their parents in different capacities at different times in their lives. You know, at, at day one, man, all they need is their mom, day one, and for a while. The mom needs the dad. The mom needs the dad for support, for sure, but the baby doesn't need the dad. As they get older, they come They come to you. They they need you more, I'm saying as a dad. So like the, the dynamic shift and, you know, there's a time for care and comfort, And there's a time for risk-taking and aggression. And that's, man, that's why why a marriage and a family is a beautiful thing. You're going to have both. You need in a family, you need someone, you need dad to be like, hey, jump off that thing. And mom be like, no, don't do that. You're crazy. You need that because then you end up putting a mattress down on the ground and the kid jumps and yet they're safe. Okay, like that's how it works because men can be really stupid and aggressive and casually risky and women can be, are very comforting and, and looking for safety and care and concern. And if you just get one of those energies, you're gonna be unbalanced, you gotta, you gotta get them both. That's why as a guy who like studies and discusses and promotes masculinity, I always make sure to say, femininity is just as important and you need it and they're complementary and without them both together it's incomplete not masculinity is not better you need both
0: yeah and they do they do make kind of a, a complete whole together in the sense that you know a, a lot of the problems that i've I've had a kind of similar situation growing up as, as you did very very boomery environment you know just a clash of egos continuously divorced just you know just grinding grinding Crises every every day, and uh, the, the 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 thing was it was you know about the two egos fighting each other, you know you know sometimes they would work together and things would be fine, but the the it was always like who's on top, you know who's who's winning who's winning this war today, and I feel like you know I've I've deliberately not ha- you know I've tried to you know wean myself out of that mindset as much as I I I could, because in my marriage at least it's not it really isn't about me i've got my own little battles online and stuff if i really want to if i really want to spar with someone i'm just gonna you know go to whatever weird groper 77 or something and we can we can spar it out there Uh, but my family is you know it's a very collaborative thing and it's, it's about more than myself um i mean Obviously, we're going to go through crises, it's not going to be easy all the time, but I feel like it's a completely different way of looking at, at this one thing that we're doing together rather than, okay, who's who's on top who's winning the tug of war today and yeah that's that's just such a such a corrosive place to grow up and i i never thought i'd get to this point because i never wanted to get married because i was like yeah i'm not (laughs) i'm not you know continuing the cycle of violence here but um it's yeah it's it's i feel like this is you know this is a very generative way of of setting up your life
1: marriage is full of compromise and sacrifices Sometimes, sometimes it's not. It's a beautiful thing. You can make it kind of what you want. And it really just takes leadership and commitment um, leadership. I think from the man, commitment from the woman, a shared agenda, right? If she's not on board with you, dude, be more persuasive, right? But, but lead the way, lead the way. Um, there, there was an old writer. I don't know if you call him pickup or whatever, but he, he described a model of like captain and first mate right? Like the captain makes the final decision, but a good captain is always like, so first mate, what should we do here? What do you think? Take that information, process it, and then make a decision and lead. And then what's funny about my relationship, I'm definitely the leader. She wants it to be that way, right? She wants to submit to me. She wants me to be the dominant force. She wants me to be a leader. I want to be a leader. It's just our natural dispositions. But she ends up telling me what to do a whole lot, but through delegation, right? I'll be like, okay, we're gonna have a party where I have 50 people make it happen. And she's like, okay, I can do that. And then she comes back, she's like, here's your list of things to do. I'm like, okay, perfect. Like, I don't mind. That's teamwork, man. We know which part uh, uh, is suitable for each other and who's good at what. And I lead the way, she's on board. Delegate authority. She comes back with another list of things to do. is fine, you know. This is not a honey-do list. This is this is me delegating and then being a servant leader, right? I'm sort of rambling now, but men lead, but be a benevolent dictator, right? And be a servant leader, right? The servant leader's job is to state the mission, is to get everyone on board with the mission, and then figure out how to help each team member do their part in achieving the mission you have to be there to serve servant leadership is a strong effective model that really can inspire people your wife your kids your co-workers your employees people around you and it turns The traditional notion of leadership on its head, or or at least misconceptions, which is that people are like, you know, leaders, they they dictate and they, 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 they just tell people what to do. They lay out the big plan and then they go back in their office or whatever. No, man, no, you got to get down there in the nitty gritty and help each other and help everybody achieve the mission that you have set. And that's what I mean by, by like being a benevolent dictator in your relationship and being a, a leader
0: yeah and the thing is your wife probably wants that you know she she might not say that you know uh, because the problem is a lot of times women react to weakness in in the man by taking kind of this this dominant nagging position because they feel like okay no one's filling that gap but they're doing it in a very resentful way so you have this you know nagging shrew that you've kind of cultivated by being really passive Uh, and I don't want to you know blame it on the men all the time but there's some guys are just really you know like oh whatever you want honey and she literally doesn't want you to say that she wants you to say this is what we're having and if you have some input then you know we can discuss that but you know it's it's i believe women
1: women would rather do something that they're like blasé about if the man says we're doing this than actually be the one that picks picks the thing right it's like just leadership on your first date don't ever be like so where do you want to go
0: no <laughs> no it's it, it is there's it is a weird thing you know like as as liberal you know empowered liberal individuals rational automatons go in our go in our own way you know saying that you know there, there is kind of this intrinsic hierarchy that's expected but some people you know you see it with paying people are still kind of comfortable with that relatively there's still kind of defaults to having the man pay and you know there's you know op- opening doors pulling up chairs and stuff like that that's you know that's kind of archaic and it's kind of almost larping that hierarchy but people still like to do that but the, the thing is you know all of that stuff all of that little these little bits and pieces they all still harken back to the fact that yes this is this is the expected order and, and you should probably asked, just go all the way
1: i asked her out i set the time i set the date i set the location i ordered the food but here's the trick you order the food but how do you do it you're sitting down at the table and you're like so what do you think what do you think what do you think you're gonna have she's like oh i like the steak i'm like okay great and the waiter comes and you're like she'll have the steak and so why right you can still order for these this is what i'm talking about in terms of like being a leader but not like being a dictator right ask her what she wants fuck, and then just take the lead it's so it's so easy and natural but yeah it's been programmed and beaten out of everybody except when it comes time to pay the check you're right
0: about that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the last one. Just maybe because it's very materialistic, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The last, the last thing we've got, we've got, um, yeah. So I, I know we're we're coming up on time a little bit now. Um, I want to ask you the the last question, uh, the question right. of yeah. the show. Um, do you have a a subversive thinker, someone who's been influential on your thought, you know, it could be a writer, it could be whatever, living or dead, that you think people should know about or or read more of, or, you know, be inspired by, um, could be PUA forum guys, anyone.
1: Wow, that's tough. I'm gonna punt on that one, nobody's coming to mind, honestly. Um, all the names that come to mind, they, they, they require caveats and they're like part of my past. And I don't know. I think my advice is to read a diversity of sources, be deliberate in the information that you take in, purposefully try to come to the other side of your arguments and interests and just generally be proactive. Like you have to take responsibility for your own education and for your viewpoint. The last thing you want to be is somebody who an idea captured, right? I think it's Jordan Peterson that said that people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. The last thing that you want to do is be that guy who just accepted a narrative or a story passively, and then allows that to run their life. Being personally sovereign, is about occupying your own brain space and del- being deliberate about what's there and what you believe. So do I have a very you know, specific person? Probably not. The first name that comes to mind right now is Jordan Hall, who's been inspirational for me. Uh, I've done four podcasts with him. Go back to number 10 if you're interested, Jack Murphy Live, number 10. Um, he's, a, he's a truly visionary thinker. Uh, I wouldn't call him a dissident or subversive. Um, but he is in the sense that, uh, he, he believes that we're in a really fucked up place and he wants things to change by empowering people and, and people becoming the best versions of themselves, which today is subversive, right? Becoming the best version of yourself today is subversive because that means you're better than somebody else and somebody else that's no equality or equity or whatever. Yeah. I think Jordan Hall, that's the one name that comes to mind, but you know. Uh, I've studied and read so much. It's hard. It's hard for one thing to jump out. And I think that that's a product at the end of the day of synthesis, right? If I had just read one guy and I'd be like, oh, you should read, read this dude, read Moldbug or whatever, you know, read Curtis Yarvin. No, you can't. You got to read everybody. You got to read everybody and be very deliberate about it and then synthesize it and then come up, come up with your own unique perspective. Don't rely on one other person because that person doesn't know you and they don't know your circumstances and they may not be right. They may not be right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Resist, resist ideological capture. Definitely. Also, you know, even, even people you hear on this, this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, It was, it was really lovely seeing you and and getting to meet you finally. Um, Likewise. Also, I want to point people towards the Jack Murphy live show. Please do listen to it. It's, it's excellent. I am a devotee uh, and also the liminal order for all you gentlemen out there who are looking for a a bund or a, a community that's, going to be uh useful to you so um, Thank you. anything else that people should uh, should go see
1: no please do uh hit sub on the youtube check out the podcast and if you're interested in masculinity brotherhood and sovereignty these are the three core values of the liminal order and you're a dude come down check it out liminal hyphen order we've got 600 guys all around the world every day working to improve our personal sovereignty in a team with other masculine men community makes you happier, healthier, and wealthier, and it's happening to all of our guys. So come check it out.
0: Excellent. And uh, you probably are a dude because if I'm looking at my YouTube stats, yeah, (laughs) that's (laughs) my my audience. But uh, also to to all you ladies out there, thank you for tuning in. And uh, it was lovely to to see you. Likewise. Thanks. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.